Howard, and I'm very excited to welcome you to my new podcast, Right Ideas. In this podcast, we'll be exploring political issues from a young conservative position. The woke left media is organising a tyrannical repression of young Australians who find themselves disagreeing with the new world cultural Marxist agenda. We're here as a drop in the ocean to add our voices to those mainstream Australians who are increasingly afraid to speak their mind. There's so much going on behind the scenes, which we'll explore throughout our first season of podcasts. So please give us a like and a follow. And remember to only let the right ideas through your ears. In our first episode, we're going to chat about the 2021 budget, the fiasco, which is the US election and COVID lockdowns. So I'm joined here by Alex Howard. Hi, guys. And um, let's dive straight into it. So the federal federal budget for 2020-2021 has just been announced with absolute record amount of debt that the uh, Liberal government has uh, decided to hoist upon us and our future generations of Australians. Yeah, terrifying levels of debt, eye-watering, some would say. Um, and this is from the party that has been the economic responsible party, the party that's been hammering the Labor Party for decades on the Labor budgets. Yeah, but I think, um, Troy, we're in safer hands here than than Labor. I think uh, the tax cuts will really have a, a t- tremendous effect stimulating the economy. Um, actually, one thing I'd like to mention about the tax cuts is that tax cuts for high-income earners will not be brought forward in this year's budget as they have been for low and middle income earners. Um, the the tax cuts for high income earners are set to come in in 2024. Well, that's a little bit too late, isn't it? And surely we'd be getting the most bang for our buck giving the high income earners tax breaks. Well, that's right. The more, the more money that the high income earners can keep, the more that they can um, stimulate and unlock investment. And of course, Labor has vowed to vote against... Um, the high income tax cuts, uh, they obviously don't want the economy to be doing well. No, no. They're more concerned with uh, being politically correct. And you could see that from their response to the budget. Uh, um, their main concern and, and the main concern of all of the um, woke cultural Marxists at the ABC was that the budget didn't specifically address gender and sexuality. I mean, it addresses workers but not, um, you know, worker caps and quotations on how many women or people of whatever, uh, pol- you know, politically correct category they want to be put in. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is these tax cuts are going to go to everyone. The roads that are built, you know, we're going to have trans women driving down them, just as many um, trans women driving down the roads as straight men. That's right, it's... It's all just nonsense, this. Um, there is some good news, though, Troy. The ABC, um, the government has frozen the indexation on their operational funding. So it means their funding will not go up with inflation, uh, which is $41 million less funding. That's great. I mean, every dollar less of our taxpayer money that goes to those, you know, woke PC brigades, the better. The better for our society, the better for mainstream Australians. Yeah, and I just think it'll increase competition and, and probably bring a lot more jobs in the uh, the media industry. That's right. 
um, the other the other sort of losers are going to be the older um, unemployed workers. So uh, the government's headline stimulus package is is called Job Maker. Businesses will have more incentives to hire young workers, um, which I think is uh, a good thing. But I think scrapping some of the um, archaic industrial relations laws would probably lead to... That's right. That would unlock youth employment more than anything else. I mean, you think about it, when a, when a business or a company is making a decision to hire a young worker, uh, there's thousands of uh, hoops and red tape that they have to go through. Uh, the industrial law is just far too complex and uh, that could be streamlined. Um, you know, things like the minimum wage is holding back youth youth unemployment. That's doing far, far more than um, this $200 a week would give for businesses. If I mean, imagine if you could pay young um, workers $200 less, that uh, that would be far better for businesses. It would be far better for the economy and for young Australians who are looking to start a career. Yeah, oh, 100%. Lower wages stimulates the economy. Um, another big announcement of course was the uh the gas-led recovery which is um gonna lower energy prices and in turn stimulate uh stimulate the economy with this new new industry um they've also the government has identified six manufacturing areas as a priority for investment they are and this is a bit of a joke some of this space defense space space they want to put aussies on the moon (laughs) food and beverage manufacturing, medical products, recycling, and clean energy. So it's all a bit of a joke. I mean, recycling, how does recycling make money for anyone? Um, Food and beverage manufacturing, I mean, come on. Well, I can get behind that. I do like food and beverages. Yeah, but I mean, what about our exports? What about our industry? What about coal and gas? Yeah. Well, I do like the gas-led recovery. I mean, it's very reassuring that um, the Morrison government isn't buying into all this warmest propaganda or all of this alarmism around, um, you know, supposed so-called global warming. And um, it's very reassuring that the federal government um, is investing in uh, viable alternatives such as natural gas, liquid natural gas. And... um, I mean, any kind of money in, in renewables is just absolutely gone down the toilet. We've okay. got the infrastructure there. We have the uh, big players, the multinational co- uh, corporations who are ready uh, to hire thousands of Australians. They've got all these projects in the pipeline and um, good on the Morrison government for facilitating that, facilitating this gas-led recovery. Um, and hopefully we'll have gas firing our um our manufacturing and industries for the next 40 years. Yeah, well, they also injected $1.9 billion into um, future technologies like hydrogen and carbon capture when I really think, you know, in a time of crisis, if you're going to invest money, you should do it in tried, true, tested um, technologies, of course, like coal and gas. That's right. So, you know, some good things, some bad things. They're uh, giving a bit of a boost for temporary visa holders, backpackers, Pacific Islanders, seasonal workers, 
um, will be able to extend their visas. I'm not sure exactly why we would want that. I mean, surely we'd want Australians to have jobs, not um, random British backpackers. That's right. Well, someone's got to go up there and, and pick the bananas, I guess. And um... Yeah, well, why don't we get those young unemployed people, you know, the latte sipping lefties of Melbourne to go up there and pick the berries. <laughs> well, you have to speak to Daniel Andrews about that. He's not letting anyone leave their home, let alone get a job. I mean, that's that we're going to touch more on the COVID lockdowns later in this episode, but uh, that's definitely the biggest uh, roadblock to our economic recovery is um, dictator Dan, or Adolf Andrews, as I like to call him, and his um, tyrannical lockdown of the whole state of Victoria. Oh, yeah, it's just ridiculous. And another thing on that, tourism operators, businesses reliant on international tourism, will benefit from a $50 million regional tourism recovery initiative. But how are they going to be any tourists if everyone's locked down, you know, under this dictator Dan? Yeah, that's that's going to be um, a real waste of money, isn't it? Going to someone's pocket, some um, government bureaucrat somewhere, no doubt. Yeah. Oh, well, the money's supposedly going to go to heritage upgrades, conservation work... And reef building. Reef building? Well, they're going to rebuild the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> I mean, thanks to the great work of Jennifer Marahossi and um, Peter Ridd, we know that the reef really isn't under threat as the um, alarmists and the warmists claim. It's actually doing better than ever. Yeah, so you just wonder, where's that $50 million going to go? Yeah. Maybe it'll be another one of those Turnbull, give $450 million to my mate's uh little situations oh i don't doubt it oh well turnbull really really did um take that renewable um take the renewable energy fear for all it was worth and you know milked a few hundred million dollars from taxpayers um to line you know the pockets of his mates so uh i i do admire the morrison government for being a lot more um fact-based and cautious around their approach to um, energy. And I think, you know, we can really see that with this gas-led recovery that uh, they're taking a no-nonsense approach, doing everything they can to keep gas prices low and uh, energy prices low um, throughout Australia, which is just going to encourage a lot of investment, a lot of new jobs and um, soften the blow of this COVID recession for households too. Oh yeah, and the well, they are cutting the job keeper and seeker payments, which of course is uh, a good thing. It'll get people back to work, and uh, you know, less people sort of dole bludging and relying on government support to you know fund their um, you know their Netflix watching. Um, but the government's obviously been aware that uh, you know that might lead to a bit of a decrease in in spending, so they. Uh, cutting red tape and they're making it a lot easier for um, pe- people to get loans so um, they've changed a lot of the rules around getting loans and the banks will no longer have to trawl over people's Netflix subscriptions or Uber Eats bills to to approve people to uh, you know get a, a new car loan or, or that's whatever. great yeah Expanding access to credit is very important in the recession. Um, and it's just, a, just another example of the great economic leadership coming from um, 
the coalition government. Oh, yeah, 100%. And um, I think, you know, a lot of the criticism from Labor has been about women not getting enough this budget, which I think, you know, is a little bit sexist. But nonetheless, they the budget will spend more than $90 million to allow concessions to the work test for paid parental leave um so yeah i don't really understand that one from morrison i mean we should really be getting rid of parental leave altogether that's a massive um that's a massive massive draw on businesses in terms of um you know like what we were saying before with the ir laws this is just um another big cost of the bottom line of every business in australia oh yeah and you know, just to add insult to injury, um, there'll be 47.9 million over the next four years spent on grants for the Women's Leadership and Development Program. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> women's Leadership and Development Program. Does that include 10 tips on how to hide your secret boyfriend from the public? So, you know, and where's where's the men's leadership program? And, you know, they say, oh, they're not putting enough money into women industries like uh, health. but um, Or the arts. Know, or the arts. <laughs> but, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe we should have more women participating in construction. Oh, absolutely we should. We should um, be getting women out in the gas industry. I mean, the arts aren't going to lower electricity prices for anyone. They're not going to increase investment in... Um, unlock investment in Australian business and production. Um, so I think that's a very, very good um, tactic by the Morrison government. They they don't want to burden f- uh, future generations in debt. And they've already spent, you know, they're already projecting that there'll be $1.3 trillion worth of debt coming out of this recovery. And yet there's all these, um, you know, work leftists cl- screaming and claiming that, you know, more money should be given to the arts. I mean... Uh, it's it's Nonsense. it's just beyond belief. Well, it's good news for uh, all the depressed woke lefties down in Melbourne. Um, new funding will double the amount of Medicare-funded psychology sessions from ten to twenty per year. So if you're, uh, you know, you're in the lockdown and you uh, haven't been able to go and get your latte for the last few weeks and you're feeling a bit suicidal and. Um, Morrison is uh, funding a few more, you know, psychology appointments for you. So, well, isn't uh, that nice? Yeah. <laughs> um, we've got fourteen billion on highway, bridge, and rail upgrades, which is uh, which is welcome. Yep. Um, we really we we really could have done with a few more infrastructure projects. I think that's one one criticism that we could make of this budget. Um, a little bit more building, getting people into jobs. Um, I mean, I, th- I imagine that a big part of the heavy lifting will be done by the private sector, and that's what uh, Morrison and co. have been saying. Uh, this is going to be a private sector-led recovery, which is um, absolutely brilliant. So they're throwing the money at the businesses uh, to encourage the investment, to cut their slashing taxes, um, asset write-offs and income tax. So uh, that is just going to have a, a trickle-down effect on workers and that's the best possible way, in my opinion, of um, stimulating the economy. I mean, um, 
we've we've seen in New South Wales with the light rail how things turn out when a government tries to um, manage big infrastructure projects by itself. So I think that you know the more private sector engagement we have in our um, manufacturing and construction, uh, the better it is. And I believe that a lot of these measures are targeted to encourage that kind of investment. And um, good on Morrison and Freinenberg for for doing this. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Totally agree with you. And you know they've giving one point six billion to um, social housing. Um, when you know what if they gave one point six billion to you know um, Len Lease and Mervac and and some other property developers. You know where there's actually competition in the market, they would do much more with the money given to them and. Um, property prices would come down and, you know, I'm sure those those places would be a lot nicer than any of these horrible social housing blocks the uh, the government's built in the past. Yeah, they're, they're all falling down to Krebert and, and Labor's come out and said, oh, well, we need, we need um, you know, tens of millions of dollars to go in and do the plumbing and replace the rotting walls and roofs in these social housing places. Um, and that's just... It's just insulting to as a taxpayer to hear a serious political party come out and say we need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on plumbing and um, you know minor works and public housing on the public dollar without taxpayer money I mean um, this this should all be covered by the private sector oh yeah and this whole big government is, is, a, is a real in encroachment into, into our freedoms as Australians. Oh, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, overall, I give the budget... Um, yeah, what would you give the budget out of, mm, out of, out of 10? I'd say a 9 out of 10. There's a few 9, that's very generous. Yeah, but I think they've done a good job. I think, you know, cutting JobKeeper and Seeker, um, you know, should get people back into work. I think that went on for a bit too long, a bit too generous, especially when you're yeah. giving money to you know um 16 year olds who work a few hours a week i mean uh that's right i mean we had there was stories of 16 year old casual workers who would work three hours a week and all of a sudden you know they'd be making 200 dollars a week and all of a sudden they're making 1500 dollars a fortnight um all, all for free all, all paid for by the taxpayer by yours truly so yeah. and what were they going to spend that money on just netflix and and, and, and vapes games and vapes and things when really you know give it to people who are going to spend it on important things like housing property yeah know. or paying down some of our uh, big national debt that's caught up in mortgages i mean it's it's a it's a it's i suppose you could say there is an argument that um, any money in the economy right now is helpful, but I think it's good that the Morrison government is is showing um, a bit more tact with where they're where they're directing the money now, and um, just sort of bandaging up some of these um, these big what's the word big these holes. hemorrhages of mm. money. Um, oh yeah, that's happened as a result of COVID. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just gonna. We're just gonna have to have more cuts um, to afford all this, you know. And I think they're going the right direction in cutting out, you know, the ABC and um, yeah, other things. But I do th- am very skeptical of, you know, women's leadership programs and mental health. I mean, why don't we just with that money we could build five new coal power plants? Yeah, 
I mean, uh, well, or we could we could do the required updates on the new ones, on the current ones. Sorry, um, there's a lot there's a lot of investment that needs to be made there to keep our prices low. I mean, that's what's been hurting Australian businesses. That's that's one mm. of the reasons why our manufacturing's been heading overseas. I mean, it's just, um, yeah, yeah, it's just a, a, a bit of investment lacking in the right areas. But um, overall. I, Overall, I think this is this is taking Australia in the right direction, and uh, well done, kudos to you, Morrison and Frydenberg, for um, yeah. a very well thought out budget. Good job, guys. Great job. So yeah, in terms of the job keeper as well, one one other thing to add is that um, I mean there could be a bit more targeting. Uh, there is a there is a good argument for keeping the job keeper rates high in Melbourne, where people are suffering under the yoke of um, Adolf Andrews and his tyrannical lockdowns. Whereas uh, the rest of the country is now starting to open up, and you don't want to be disincentivizing people to work. You want to be getting people back to work uh, as soon as possible. And I can't think of anyone who sort of um, personifies his position better than uh, U.S. President Donald Trump. We've just seen um, in the last week he spectacularly um, was tested positive for COVID-19, spent a few days in the hospital, um, took some, was very, very brave in volunteering to trial some um, some of the new drugs which have been developed now and, um, to combat COVID-19. And he was back within the White House within within a matter of days and he really showed us how it can be done um, I mean if only the people of Victoria had a leader like Trump uh, right now their economy would be booming oh, yeah. rather than everyone being lo- locked in their houses for the last six months I mean you can show he shows that you could be you know 70 74 years old obese and um, definitely in a high risk category and and have one of the most stressful jobs in the world and um really put COVID into perspective. Oh, yeah, and it just goes to show that COVID's really not, you know, quite as deadly as the uh, the media portrays. And I just think, you know, the media machine really, really spews all this propaganda so that, um, you know, leaders like Dictator Dan can uh, be justified in, in locking us all away. And, um, yeah, you know. well, it, it is part of this whole um, socialist... Um, socialism trying to take us down from the inside i mean they've really lost the battle the political battle the socialists and they've had this one little fig leaf which has been extended to them by this coronavirus whatever the origins of the virus might be and they're using that to full effect to bring in their tyrannical um the the tyrannical ideas of you know taking away our freedoms Mm. taking away the freedoms of victorians um, and I mean, the dignity of work. Yeah, it's 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 just heartbreaking to see. It's heartbreaking to talk to my friends down in Melbourne, uh, to hear them suffering, going going absolutely loony because they're stuck in their homes, they're stuck in their bedrooms twenty four seven. They're only allowed out for an hour a day. They even had curfews there at one point. I mean, I think that's the first uh, curfew that's ever been. Um, I could be wrong on this. I think it's the first ever curfew that's been enacted in Australia. Not even in in the world wars do we need a curfew. But somehow, um, Dictator Dan thinks that this virus um, doesn't really 
will come out at night and will come and like bash you in the street if you're out after 8 p.m. Yeah, it's, it's just a, it just is completely illogical. That's exactly what we saw in you know socialist Russia. Yeah, just these um, yeah dictatorial leaders, you know, promising uh, promising food and and work for uh, for the the masses, while at the same time persecuting them and taking away their freedoms. That's right, and I mean we can't forget those lessons that we've learnt through history. We can't forget, um, you know, the the millions and millions of Russians that were killed under socialism, um, and you know it's it's very frightening to see this happening in 2020 in Australia right now. Um, and I and I'm very glad um, that I live in New South Wales, that I live in Sydney, where we don't have um, a crazy socialist government. Uh, we have a reasonable government who has allowed the economy to open back to a certain extent. And, I mean, you can really feel it now in Sydney. Things are starting to get a bit back towards the way they were. Um, obviously, there's no travel. There's there's a lot of vacancies um, in terms of housing and the housing market. And um, we will see a bit of, bit of a lowering of house prices as a result of this. But um, other than that, the economy in Sydney seems to be um, picking back up and um, we just really have our government to be thankful for. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they've done a much better job. Yep. It shows what um, reasonable um, small government can achieve. It's just all up to the people, the, the good people who are allowed to... Um, make their own choices, use their own freedom. We did have a small lockdown, but um, people were very well behaved and just goes to show that, um, you know, government overreach is probably one of the biggest biggest um, risks to our freedom and prosperity as a nation. And uh, nowhere, nowhere has really showed that more than Victoria through this lockdown and certain states in the US. And we're going to bring it back to the election um, there's just too much happening over there to keep up with, really. The the news cycle is just 24-7. It's just Trump, Trump, Trump. Um, but he's he's done a great job. He's beaten coronavirus. Um, Biden has gone back to his little old trick hiding down in his basement. He's obviously terrified um, of catching this, catching this virus and dying. He doesn't have the same bravado and bravery that he's... Um, opponent does oh yeah when i think it's over you know i think it's totally over after that debate performance we really saw who was the stronger of the two men i mean biden he just he could barely speak he's he looks like he's falling asleep oh. half the debate sleepy joe's back <laughs> you know and trump just um you know cutting him off he was you know obviously biden's droning on and you know no one wants to listen to him and and trump's you know trying to trying to save the interview and um make it a bit more entertaining for us, but I just completely agreed with, you know, everything he said and, uh, you know, not compromising on the, uh, that attack, the, the white supremacy thing, I thought was, um, you know, just a sign of a, a strong leader, someone who's not willing to attack. Yeah, know, well, they, they, they were really baiting him here, were they? That was, that was to placate the, um, you know, socialist um, part of America, the, you know, this this whole um, 
massive PC brigade, which is um, taken taken root in the mainstream media in America, and and Trump's just said, no, well, I'm not having a bar of it. I'm I standing by my values. I don't want to, um, you know, infringe on the freedoms of my citizens. I don't, I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to arbitrarily define a group of people like that and um, call them out on live TV. It was really just a sort of stunt, a political stunt there by um, Joe Biden and the Democrats. And I think that Trump dealt with it pretty well. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, he did a fantastic job. I mean, it wasn't too hard for him. Biden was a uh, a pathetic opponent and... uh, yeah, he uh, didn't really have any good attacks against Trump. He just sort of blamed Trump for the virus, which, of course, is Yeah, everyone is knows that it's not his fault. And he said things like, you know, Trump shut down the economy, whereas Trump is, is one of the only world leaders who really is trying to um, barge ahead and keep the economy open. He's, do, he's making every effort. So the attacks mm. that the, the lines that Biden were using to attack Trump were, were just, just the wrong lines, just tactically... Um, I don't know. I don't know who's advising him. Um, he should probably fire whoever it is. But uh, his his lines just came across as contradictory and weak, um, and it, it was it was a confusing debate. There there wasn't a whole lot of coherent argument, even from both sides. I mean, it was it was very murky and um, sort of a bit of a bit of um, playing in the mud happening but I think that that suited Trump it suits his style it suits his um, mm. he's not he's not scripted like Biden and, and definitely Kamala Harris he hasn't gone in there and memorized you know two minute long speeches he goes in there and speaks the truth he, he speaks his mind he's not um, fabricating big long emotional speeches for the camera as the Democrats would want to do um, but I think that did suit Trump, and I think that Mike Pence also performed brilliantly in his um, oh, yeah. debate with Kamala Harris. He really, um, he he really, uh, if anything, appeared very presidential. He's he was calm. He had all of his facts straight. He he um, was very adept at dealing with Kamala Harris's emotive arguments, uses of emotion to try and throw him off his game and appeal to the American people and. Um, there's absolutely no doubt that he won that debate too. Oh yeah, she was a complete hysterical lunatic, um, and he just had to stand there and and uh, be a reasonable and sensible person, and uh, he won the debate, you know, barely having to lift a finger. That's right. Not even that fly that landed on his head could stop him, <laughs> stop his momentum. I mean, it was. Um, yeah, I think I think it was a big success for the Republican Party, but we'll we'll see how it turns out in. Um, come November. Yes, well, judging by the polls, Biden's going to uh, win a landslide, but, you know. Just as Clinton was going to in uh, 2016. So, I mean, the, the big um, the big factor here is is the quiet Trump voters, in my opinion. All, all the people, all the mainstream people who understand that keeping the economy open is much, much uh, more beneficial to society than all of these, um, you know, socialist lockdowns. And I think that the American people are going to are going to make the right decision in November. Yeah, yep. I I definitely think that um, Trump will be reelected. I mean, it's just a no-brainer. I mean, Biden's just uh, you know a terrible threat to um, 
to democracy, to liberty, and to freedom. Yeah, and he not to mention he's almost completely senile. Oh yeah, yeah, can barely string a sentence together. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I would like to see um, if that drug test went ahead. I I know that Trump asked on the record for a drug test with Biden because it does it does appear that he um, he appears very out of it and very sort of demented at some points and very sleepy and then all of a sudden he'll get a shot of something or he'll pop a little pill and he'll be right as rain he's, he's very up and down and um, at that age I'm not sure that he's fit um, and healthy enough to carry out the duties of uh, being the most powerful person in the world uh, and Kamala Harris while being much younger and um, presumably healthier from that debate did not seem to be um, emotionally or in, you know, um, politically ready to take on the role of president should Joe Biden die in office, which is, which is not all that unlikely. Yeah, and she's just too inexperienced. I mean, the most powerful person in the world, do you want this young woman? No, I think you probably want a sort of older, you know, Pence-type character. Yeah, um, some with more experience. I, I thought I thought that Pence looked like he was ready to be president tomorrow. I thought that um, Kamala Harris. Well, we all know that this is just a politically correct appointment. Uh, Joe Biden had said before he'd even uh, really seriously considered his running mate. He said, "I'm going to pick a woman," which is you know just virtual signaling in the extreme. You don't. There's nothing wrong with picking a woman, but you want to pick the best person from the job. You're automatically ruling out so many great um, talented people you you you, you probably uh, ruling out the best people for the job if you say well I'm just going to pick a woman and then all of a sudden you say well I'm going to pick a woman of color then that field gets even narrower and narrower and um, you know I think there was only about uh, three women of color in in and around American politics that um, sort of had the credibility to even consider uh, being elected VP, and I, and I know that usually the vice president is is a bit of a um, a bit of a useless position. There's not really a lot that um, they do, but in 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 terms of this election and the age of Joe Biden and um, the fact that there's a global pandemic happening right now, means that. That VP pick was was probably his most important decision that he could make um, mm. for the election, and I think he really stuffed up. Well, it really election. shows that he cares more about political correctness than he does about the you know the future of um, America and the American people. You know, he's just trying to score points. That's right. Yeah, he's just ticking the boxes. Oh well. And that's the way the world is going, unfortunately. Yep. Left-wing lunatics. Yep. Yeah, that's what too many lattes and avocado on toast will do to you. Uh, well, you know, I think we've had a lot of good news recently. Um, I think Trump will blow it out of the water, and I think this budget is really going to get... Um, the economy moving again, get people back in jobs, lower energy prices, which I think is just going to benefit every single one of us, especially our, you know, our industries. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I think we'll be uh, much much stronger after this. You know, despite the debt, I think we'll be able to pay off the debt. You know, uh, if we can keep a coalition government. In yeah, no time. that's right, and um, I think I think that the Morrison government has just done basically locked in their election in the next in the next election they've mm-hmm. locked in the victory with this sensible budget and as long as they um stick to what they've said and they act they um execute the plan then you know i think we'll see um a continuation of this strong liberal government this strong coalition government and um i think that yeah, Morrison has really, and Frydenberg have really uh, solidified their positions as some of uh, the best, most reasonable leaders that we've had um, in the last 30 years. Yeah, well, you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing them actually just get rid of, you know, personal income tax altogether. Yeah, that's right. Well, well, I mean, that was part of the idea when the GST was introduced, was that we're shifting taxation away from income tax and... Uh, towards tax on goods and services, which was a very controversial uh, position to take at the time. But now, obviously, no one thinks twice about GST. Um, it's It attaches to everything. And income taxes haven't actually gone down. Well, uh, they had these legislative tax cuts which they've brought forward. But that's this, sh- this should have been done years ago. Um, and it's only because of all the dillying and dallying in um, the federal parliament that, you know, they legislated these tax returns for, you know, the years going up to 2024. So I think that, you know, this is one of the silver linings of COVID is that we do um, push through some of this um, good tax reform a little bit earlier than uh, was legislated. And um, I commend the Morrison government for doing so. And I understand that Labor has also throwing their support in they, they i mean they could or not it's it's an absolute common sense policy and good on the labor party good on albanese for supporting such a um such a brilliant policy yep and you know they're saying you know it's going to be 1.2 or 1.3 trillion dollars in debt but you know i think that's a lot better than than taxing because of course debt um and loans you know it just stimulates the economy um better than you know any sort of socialistic handouts so uh you know in the end because of the interest you know you're actually generating even more money so in a few years time you know this this 1.2 trillion could be uh, you know a big benefit for us that's right and what people don't understand and what what, what um what isn't really mentioned in the media as well is that when when um debt is created there are people buying bonds uh, the debt, a lot of the debt is actually backed by bonds, which also creates economic growth. So uh, there is a bit of a return on that. The only issue is that is the government's ability to, to repay those loans. And as long as we have a strong, um, sensible government, such as the Morrison government, then uh, we really don't have anything to worry about. Yep, but as soon as you get some radical lefties in there, then, you know, all of all the uh, people loaning money to to us are going to be uh, very very skeptical. So I think um, you know we just need to keep the the that's right conservative um, government in power. You can't you can't pay creditors with good feelings. Creditors prefer cash. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. That's right. So 
Well, I think we've covered uh, pretty much everything. Well, that's it for our podcast today. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with um, more news and more right ideas. Yep, like and subscribe.